welcome to Addicted to Murder. This is Courtney, licensed professional counselor with over 10 years of experience. And this is Trisha, and I just took a walk a little while ago, and there was a nice serene occurring at that time. A serene? It's a fine rain from a cloudless sky. Oh. Yeah, and it was cloudless, and that's why it was weird. Oh, kind of like mist. I guess. Sort of. I don't know what it was. I don't know where it came from, but I looked up at the sun and I was like, why is it raining? And I saw no clouds. So I don't know. But yeah, I guess there's a word for it. Cool. Serene. I like it. Yeah. It's almost serene. It is almost. Okay. That was weird. Um, It just stopped recording, but it's back now. Okay, good. We're good. We don't have to go over serene again. We don't. Yeah. But it is your question. Okay. <laughs> uh, so my question this time is... um. Sorry, my chair's so squeaky, you guys. Um, it's more like for you. Hmm. Okay. Okay. Um, as a therapist, what is your number one? Um, oh, uh, how do I phrase this? What's your number one go-to when to tell clients to help them when they have panic attacks or like an anxiety episode? Ooh. Um. I'd say my number one go-to, like, skill to Mm -hmm. practice using. Um, I always start, I think, with the basics, going back to breathing and doing some some paced breathing. Um, I'm a fan of what's called, like, box breathing, personally, where you kind of inhale through your nose for four seconds. You hold it for four seconds, and then you breathe out through your mouth for five or for four seconds, and then you do that four times, so it makes a box. Okay. Um, breathing sometimes is hard when you're having a panic attack. That's true. I speak from experience. Mm -hmm. So is there another thing you could recommend if, if like that isn't, um, say something that is reasonable to do? Um, yes. Um, if like it's too, kind of just too activated to do like a breathing exercise, Mm -hmm. Um, counting something is really okay. helpful, whether that's like count the number of tiles on the ceiling or count the number of blue things in the room or just kind of like picking one thing and, and counting Okay, um, can be a good alternative that's easy. I feel like a lot of people, if not all people, suffer from some form of anxiety at some point. Right. Maybe not chronically. Everyone gets nervous and worried sometimes. Right. Do you ever get like just that random anxious feeling in your tummy and you don't know what it's from? Yes. You do? I do. I do that all the time and it drives me crazy. Mm -hmm. And then I think something must be happening to a loved one right now and I'm feeling their fear or pain. And then it's usually not that. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Right. And so annoying when you can't pinpoint where that anxiety is coming from. It is really hard. Yeah. And sometimes, you know, our anxiety triggers, especially when there's trauma and things Mm -hmm. like that, can be really unconscious. Like it could be you like saw a certain color of red and it triggered a memory or. And then you have the anxiety Mm -hmm. and you don't know why. Right. Well, that's frustrating. It can be. Yeah. Yeah. When I have a panic attack, what I've found, which is sort of like your counting thing, is like anything to distract me. So like taking a shower, um, putting on something like TV, radio, having whomever talk to me, like just distract me from that Mm -hmm. um, can pull me out of it eventually. Or 
just like all the way pretty much passing out. I'll do it too. Right. Yeah. A lot of people <laughs> that I work with are like, they just take a nap yeah. and they go to sleep. Yeah. Um, I can't do that. I'm really bad at taking naps. Well, I meant more like hyperventilating until you pass out. But Oh, got it. <laughs> that, well, that'll do it. probably when, try to avoid that. Well, yeah, when you're driving. Mm-hmm. Anyways, that was a selfish question. I've had some anxiety. Um, I don't – and I, it's, it's been annoying. Like, I can't figure out why. So mm-hmm. I thought since you were coming over today, I would ask for some tips. Yeah, that's and a figured, really good question. Thank you. And I figured that um, others might be interested in some tips as well. Definitely. Okay. All right. Well, that was that was my question. And now we are on to Hillside Strangler, part four. Yes. And Courtney, will you give us a brief little recap before I start in on the murder spree? Yes. So last time we talked about Kenneth Bianchi moving out to L.A. to be with his very special cousin, Angelo Buono. And who was about, you know, 20 years older than him or so. So Kenny's in his 20s and Angelo's in his 40s. And they just have some kind of weird magical click. And they start committing crimes. They start impersonating police officers. Mm -hmm. They start pimping out sex workers. And kind of just escalates and escalates. Yep. Um, and the book we're using, again, is Two of a Kind, The Hillside Stranglers, The Inside Story by Darcy O'Brien, as well as the many documentaries and um, cheesy 80 movies um, that we can find online. Yes. So Starring Billy out. Zane as Kenneth. Yeah. And Bianchi. the dude that plays Angelo, like I've seen him in other things, but I can't remember his name. I've seen him in like other mob things. Mm-hmm. He's very mob looking. He is. Yeah. Had a very Italian name, I think. Probably so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So... The night of the Hillside Strangler's first kill was October 17th, 1977. Angelo was pissed off because a woman he was using as a prostitute in his house named Jennifer fought him off when he tried to sodomize her. Remember how much he loved sodomizing people. Coupled with a bogus call-out list, or excuse me, out-call list of John's. Okay, so my understanding of this was that he bought a list that was supposed to be a call-out list, which meant... The women he was running, they'd get phone calls and the women would go to the men's houses. But it turned out to be the other way around and the people were coming to his house. So he was pissed off because that was not supposed to be the list he had. Ah. If I'm understanding correctly what I read. But so he's pissed off at Jennifer for not having sex with him um, anally. And then this list that he got. um, So he was in a murderous rage that night. And when he and Kenny left the house... They were on a mission. They wanted to find the woman who gave them the bogus list and take her out, meaning, you know, murder her, but they couldn't find her. Instead, they remembered one of the sex workers from previous interactions named Yolanda and where she worked on Sunset Boulevard. They went to her spot and picked her up. You know, it was easy. She was a prostitute and, you know, it's not like they had to yank her in the car or anything. Once in the car, the the cousins handcuffed her. Kenny raped her and eventually strangled her to death with some sort of ligature, like, in the car. When they finished, they drove her over to a spot on Forest Line Drive and dumped her naked body across from the Warner Brothers set. She was 19 years old. From what I understand, Ken- Kenny raped and murdered this first victim. Angelo was the driver. 
Um, they were sloppy. They did not have a plan. And only one of the pair was truly involved um, in that sense. Courtney? You know, it's actually pretty common for a serial killer's first murder to be very disorganized and impulsive. You know, it takes some some practice to develop their MO or modus operandi. And, you know, some experimentation with different ways of killing, different types of torture or disposal. Um, And so experimenting with that and not really having a plan in the beginning is pretty normal. Yeah, I think we've seen that by now. I, I BTK always comes to mind, but they Ted all, Bundy too. Yeah, they bumble a bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it didn't take long before they wanted to kill again. They planned this one out better. Um, they they still sort of winged it. October thirtieth, nineteen seventy seven. The cousins went hunting again. When they spotted a girl they wanted, Kenny got out of the big old Cadillac they drove, and Angelo just kept driving. Angelo circled the sex worker and spoke to her before she willingly got into the car. He then drove off and met up with Kenny. Kenny then posed as a police officer working with Angelo and told the girl she was under arrest. She believed him, and he cuffed her and put her in the back seat. They then said they needed to take her to the station, and instead of the station, they went to Angelo's house. She was really confused when they arrived, but they told her it was a satellite location, so she willingly went into the house with the two. She was promptly gagged, and her eyes were covered so she could not see. They put her in Angelo's room, then flipped a coin to see who was going to rape her first. Angelo won. When he finished, he told Kenny to take a picture. Kenny then raped her. Sodomy most likely occurred from both of the men. Uh, They decided to strangle her with some cord from Angelo's shop. Here's the dialogue from that conversation. I'm assuming it came from Kenny's recollection. Quote, when I put this around her neck, I'll do it. You watch how I do it. When I put this around her neck, she's going to kick and she's going to fuss and she's really going to squirm. She'll probably, so probably the best way is for you to kneel on her legs, you know, facing her like you was going to kiss her. No, wait, first tie up her ankles with this. That will cut down on her moving around and she won't kick you in the nuts. Angelo also insisted on dressing her before they strangled her because he didn't want her to poop or pee on his carpet. Kenny then had the idea to use a plastic bag to suffocate her while they strangled her. She fought to the very end. The cousins admitted that it was hard work. They both smoked a cigarette afterwards. Of of course, Kenny bummed one because he is a mooch. They then stripped her and threw away all her belongings in the dumpster on Angelo's property that would be picked up the next day. Then they took her body and dropped it off in the middle-class area of town on someone's lawn. She was identified later as 15-year-old Judith Miller. Courtney, a couple of things. Maybe Angelo researched a lot, but he sure seemed to know the response of a person when they're being strangled. Do you think he did murder before? I'm talking about, like, you know, him worried about the defecating and the, the urination. Um, you know, Maybe he did it on his own. Also, tell us what you think about the duo and how they work together and what might be occurring between the two. And then one other thing, and I can't remember if I put this in later, why do you think about them covering up the eyes? Well, um, my guess would be, to answer the first question first, um, is that Angelo had previous experience with strangulation, whether it was murder or not. Um, likely, at the very least, during the domestic violence that he perpetuated against his ex-wives and girlfriends. You know, strangulation is unfortunately unco- um, common when it comes to domestic violence. Um, or he may have watched some very violent pornography, mm. um, things like that, and sort of gotten some knowledge that way. 
As for the two of them together, kind of in these first two murders, it feels like there's very much like a teacher-student vibe between Angelo and Kenny. You know, Angelo is sharing the things that he already knows about sex and rape and violence. And Kenny is there picking up on all of those tips so that he can become a better rapist and killer too. Um, And then when it comes to like covering their eyes, I think there's just this level of extra fear Mm -hmm. that comes with not being able to see what's happening, Mm. not being able to see who's in the room and who's out of the room. Um, so since they knew they were going to kill her, it wouldn't matter if she could like ID them. Mm -hmm. Um, so my guess would be is that they blindfolded her to just sort of increase that, that terror. I wasn't sure if they did it to, you know, for that reason, or if like they didn't want to see her eyes, like it was like too personal or too much it would affect them in some way I don't know they did this a lot they um they would take like pieces of foam rubber or something and then he would tape them over the eyes Hmm. um so I just didn't I wasn't sure like it could be that or maybe it's like it could be like yeah that it feels too personal I yeah I'm not sure it was kind of weird um to me that they did that so Mm -hmm. I just wanted to get your thoughts on it yeah The next murder they planned, they were even more prepared. Angelo had pre-cut the ropes that they would use uh, to just the right length and got the eye blinders ready on the table. So no more running around with them. They just needed the girl and they were ready to go. November 6th was the night, just a week after their last kill. This time they wanted to try something tougher. Prostitutes typically were willing to get in your car, but a girl who was not a sex worker would be something that would be, you know, that would be harder to do. So that was their new you know, play, I guess. They saw a young woman in a lime green beetle and decided to follow her. When she parked, they parked behind her and claimed to be police officers, showing their mismatched badges as proof. So Bianchi ended up getting a different kind of badge than Angelo, and Angelo, of course, was like, you are a dumbass, but whatever. They told her she needed to answer some questions because of a local robbery in the area. Of course, she told them she knew nothing about it, They convinced her that she needed to go with them to the station to make her statement so she could be removed from the suspect list because the car she was driving matched the one linked to the robbery. They then convinced her it was procedure for them to cuff her. They got her inside and uh, started on their routine. However, they got her inside of Angelo's house. So anyways, they got her there. Um, She did not appeal sexually to Angelo and she only sort of appealed sexually to Kenny a little bit. I guess she had, like, hairy legs, kind of a hippie vibe type, you know? I mean, even though I have hairy legs <laughs> most right. of the year. Probably, like, didn't shave her armpits. Yeah, or, yeah. You know. She wasn't, they said she wasn't feminine enough um, for them. So Angelo just passed on the rape. Um, but Kenny did, but he did it with a beer bottle. But they did both murder her. Um, It was similar to the last one, except that they would release pressure over and over to bring her to the brink of death again and again during the strangulation. Kenny did the actual killing. Angelo held her down and chanted, die, cunt, die, over and over again. When they were finished, they deposited her body in the Hollywood Hills. Lissa Caston was 21 years old. Courtney, it seems to me Kenny is more into this than Angelo. I mean, not totally, but it seems he has more enthusiasm. Um, And maybe that's, you guys, that might not be coming across to the listeners, but if you read the book, that's kind of how it seems. Why do you think that is, if it's so? So I think Kenny has two things kind of going on here that Angelo does not. The first is just straight up youth. 
right? Kenny is almost 20 years younger than Angelo. So he just has more energy and, you know, youthful exuberance kind of just going on. Um, You know, and the second is the novelty of the whole process. You know, whether Angelo had killed somebody before or not, he had many years of experience with controlling, degrading, raping, and beating women. Um, Where to Kenny, all of these actions were still relatively new and novel for him. So it was still very exciting every time. Or maybe that, like, novelty had sort of worn off a bit for Angelo by then. And if he did indeed have ADHD, perhaps that played into him being so excited? I don't know. That's very possible, too. Yeah. Yeah. Four nights later, they decided to try again. So they're, like, getting quicker and quicker with this. There's not much of a cooling off period. Um, They talked amongst themselves and decided they needed to be more selective. No more dark alleys to choose victims from. They needed to see the faces of these women, their bodies, you know, were they attracted to them? This was Hollywood. They could be choosy when it came to the females they were going to rape and kill. Angelo made it clear to Kenny, if they don't find the right girl, then they come home and they'll try again later. Kenny was very eager. Angelo seemed to be much more practical and calm. After some cruising, they spotted an attractive blonde waiting at a bus stop. The plan this time was for Kenny to charm her into getting a ride from them. So Angelo dropped him off um, while, and then, you know, Angelo drove out of sight. Kenny walked up like he was going to take the bus as well. He pretended his car broke down and he needed to take the bus uh, to go get help. He struck up a conversation with her. He was being all charming and all that stuff. He got her to open up about acting and her being a Scientologist. He really established a rapport, it seems like. Well, then he spots Angelo and freaks out saying, hey, there's my friend. He suggests that maybe Angelo can give her a ride home as well um, because, you know, Angelo's such a nice guy and he would probably do that. And at first the girl refuses, but eventually Kenny convinces her that both he and Angelo, you know, they were in the police force and they're safe and, you know, she should take the ride. It's, It's unsafe to take the bus. She accepted the ride and got in the car. They drove back to Angelo's house with a willing Jane King, that was her name, and when they arrived, they jumped on her, put on the cuffs, and then dragged her um, in the house, and she was gagged and blindfolded and all of that, Um, obviously terrified. The two flipped a coin again, and Angelo won again. Kenny decided he wanted to watch, and so he did. He watched his cousin rape Jane King. When Angelo was done, he hogtied her for Kenny and watched while Kenny raped Jane. Angelo enjoyed it immensely. Angelo told Kenny to keep going as he placed a bag over her head and started the strangulation process. Kenny did finish. After she was dead, he finished. They dumped her body off a freeway in some bushes. Okay, so now we're seeing uh, seeing even more disturbing behavior and some necrophilia. From what I understand, he knew she was dead. Um, So I guess that counts as necrophilia. I don't know. Courtney, what are your thoughts? Well, first of all, I'd say what we're seeing is really the level of Angelo's sexual sadism. You know, he was most excited in this scenario by seeing Jane's suffering, Mm -hmm. which is the textbook definition of sadism. Um, I don't know that I would call what happened necrophilia. Uh, You know, Kenny wasn't attracted to Jane because she was dead, um, and her body likely continued to feel alive long enough for him to orgasm. Um, so it's not quite necrophilia. Like he may have known she was dead, Mm -hmm. but she was dead for like 30 seconds or a minute. 
And so her body was still warm and reactive and not like having sex with like a corpse. Yeah. Um, they do this often. Mm-hmm. They don't go back, mm-hmm. you know, the way that some killers will go back, uh, like Ted Bundy. Or, right. You know. mm-hmm. um, but they, they throw that word around in the book. Mm-hmm. Um, and it probably because they technically did have sex with them postmortem. Um, but it's usually in this type of situation right like, yeah or they're sexually aroused by the killing mm-hmm. itself not necessarily by the, the dead, dead body. body okay at this point the cousins felt pretty invincible there wasn't even any news coverage yet of all of the victims the cops were still piecing together the theories on the homicides you know if they were related i mean it was los angeles it's a big city and some of the people that had been killed were sex workers which unfortunately happens um the cousins decided they wanted to try again something even tougher. A very young teenager, a virgin. Their reasons were disturbing. I was going to quote the book, but I changed my mind. Um, it's just too, it doesn't need to be said. Anyways, they had, um, they had their reasons for wanting this. So on November 13th, less than a week after Jane King, they went on the hunt for a young virgin to rape, sodomize, and kill. They actually followed two young girls this time. They were 12-year-olds Dolores Sapita and 14-year-old Sonia Johnson. Apparently, the two had just shoplifted a bunch of costume jewelry, so when the cousins presented themselves as cops, they went along with them willingly, thinking that they were busted. The pair raped and sodomized both of them before they were strangled, and then they dumped them near Dodgers Stadium. They were discovered by a 9-year-old boy who thought he found a couple of store mannequins. About this time is when the news media started to call the, the killer the Hillside Strangler. The police were seeing a pattern and did determine that it must be two killers, or at least some of the police felt it must be two, two killers. Uh, it was because of the body placement, because um, it would have taken two to not leave drag marks and, and stuff like that at the dump sites. Uh, Courtney, I think we can just diagnose these two as being evil sadists who deserve to rot. Any thoughts on the double homicide of such young victims? If only evil were an actual diagnosis, (laughs) right? Um, What I think we can surmise is that both are showing signs of sexual sadism and psychopathy. Um, You know, choosing these two young girls, my guess would have been Angelo's suggestion, given his predilection for molesting young teenagers. Mm -hmm. Um, And he's definitely the leader in this duo. Um, But Kenny's happy to go along with his ideas, it seems. Um, You know, taking two girls at once, I imagine, is likely a crime of opportunity, just finding them together. But also probably could have only happened with girls this young due to their small size and just sort of naivete about the world and, and police rules. It would have been much harder to take like two fully grown adults at the same time. And I think it just was coincidental that these two girls had shoplifted and they were like, oh, I mean, right. might, I don't know if it would have been any different had that not been the case. They still might have went willingly with police officers if they had made some other excuse. But unfortunately for them, they had just committed a crime. Mm-hmm. Christina Weckler apparently blew Kenny off sometime in the past. So what better way to get back at her than to make her their next victim? So obviously he knew her, right? And he went over to her residence and made some excuse about her car being hit. And he was in the police reserves and he would help her get it, you know, sorted out. She believed him and she willingly left her apartment and went with him. The cousins raped and sodomized her at Angelo's, but then they decided they wanted to throw the police off. Angelo had an idea. 
He filled a syringe with Windex and injected it into her arms and neck. Courtney, I flash back to the Club Kid murder. Uh, did you ever read about that or watch the movies with Macaulay Culkin? Um, I've heard of it. I didn't see the movie, but I'm familiar with it. It's pretty good. I read the book too. It's called Party Monster. Right. Um, yeah. I don't know. It was kind of. It was like Macaulay Culkin's comeback. Right. Right. <laughs> uh, anyways, I digress. The Windex didn't kill her, but it made her have seizures. So Angela had another idea. He had just bought a pipe for gas for his stove, and it was set up just waiting for the stove he hadn't actually gotten yet. He dragged, or they dragged Christina into the kitchen put her by the pipe and put a bag over her head and the pipe, um, and they stuck the pipe in the bag and then they turned on and off the gas while strangling her at the same time, releasing pressure to prolong the torture before she ultimately expired. What the actual fuck? Uh, okay. So, um, just this next part, just is a little aside of what's going on between, um, in Kenny's personal life. So he was with Kelly. Um, they were pregnant, they were living together, but then Kelly broke out or broke up with Kenny because he smacked her and she fell down. Okay. So that happens. And then soon after that, um, after Thanksgiving holiday, Angelo and Kenny were at it again, this time in the Valley. They decided on Lauren Wagner, who they spotted at a donut shop before they followed her. When she parked, the two did their cop thing, only she wasn't buying it. She said they could talk to her dad, who was just asleep in the house only yards from where she was parked. Kenny pulled her out of her car and shoved him in, shoved her into his car. And I guess Lauren realized that these two must have been the hillside strangles, stranglers, so she kind of tried a tactic. She told them that she liked sex, she'd have sex with them, no problem, and then they could just let her go. She wouldn't say anything. Unfortunately, it didn't work. In fact, Angelo decided to try an electrocution experiment on Lauren that caused her much pain, but it didn't kill her. So they ended up strangling her as they did with the others in the end. So obviously, to me anyways, it seems like they're getting bored. First they, you know, do a multiple murder, then they inject Windex, they use gas, and now electricity. What do you think, Courtney? I think this ties back to the idea of experimenting until they find the MO that satisfies their psychopathic and sadistic needs. And it also kind of reminds me a little bit of the dynamic of like two young teenage boys hanging out and doing increasingly riskier things. You know, we've all witnessed this like probably in middle school where we see like those eighth grade boys and they're talking about daring each other to do things that just take it further and further. Like, well, I dare you to jump off this table. Well, I dare you to jump off this table while spinning around. Well, I dare you to jump off this table spinning around and doing a backflip. And so on and so forth until somebody gets hurt. Well, they had a plan to thwart the police again with their next victim. They knew of an empty apartment in Kenny's building that they could sneak into. So they did that, and they called an escort service from a payphone and had them send a girl to that apartment. When, quote, Donna showed up, they pulled their police, you know, routine and cuffed her. She made a huge fuss, and I guess she was screaming and everything and actually did alert some tenants, but they got her quieted down and threatened her with a knife. They then transported her to Angelo's house, where they tossed a coin again to see who went first. Angelo won again. After the ritual, they took her and dumped her in a vacant lot on a hill. Her real name was Kimberly Diane Martin. The police worked with the escort service and got the information of the address she had been sent to. And they actually interviewed Kenny, you know, because he lived there. And Kenny confirmed that he did hear screams from the apartment down below. 
Kenny actually did move out of that complex soon after this. It turns out his job finally checked on his chemotherapy appointments and found out he was lying uh, about why he was missing work, and they fired him. So he couldn't afford his apartment anymore. He moved in with Kelly's brother's friends. This guy's a total loser. Sorry. He is. Yeah. So Angelo at this point is getting a little sick of Kenny. You know, he was not as smart as he thought he was, and his scams got them nearly caught. He was also way into the publicity of the Strangler killings. Um, Like, they they would watch the news, and Kenny would get really excited about it. Kenny put himself in bad situations. He had been interviewed by the police. He couldn't hold a job down. His car got repossessed. He was basically homeless with a baby on the way. So Angela was starting to really worry that Kenny would get them caught. One day, in the middle of the day, the two cousins were cruising around when they spotted a girl at a bus stop. They offered her a ride, but she declined. Now, this is the middle of the day. Angelo then leaped out of the car and grabbed her by the wrists, attempting to pull her in the car, right in the middle of the street, in broad daylight. Luckily for that woman, another car came up behind Angelo's car and saw what was happening. She leapt out of the car and started screaming, you know, leave her alone. This startled Angelo, who let the girl go, and, you know, he said to the interloper, quote, God will get you for this. <laughs> okay. Before they took off. The girl uh, got on the bus after she calmed down, but she wouldn't go to the police, though. But the woman went to the police to report it. She had gotten a good look at Angelo and the car, and even thought she recognized Kenny from somewhere. Unfortunately, the police did not believe her story. I mean, who would attempt an abduction like that in broad daylight? What do you think, Courtney? I will never understand why police seem to just write off certain reports like this. I mean, yes, it would be stupid to try and abduct a woman in broad daylight, but it happens. And what reason would this witness have to lie about seeing this? Right. If only that girl had... I'm I'm assuming she was in shock or something like that or was just too afraid or I don't know. Right. It's too bad. Cindy Hudspeth went to Angelo because she needed some custom floor mats made for her car. Poor women. She picked the, the, she picked the worst place to go. Uh, Angelo, of course, fed her some BS that if she would come inside, he had a list of people hiring because she did tell him she wanted to make some extra money. She willy, willingly went into the house. Kenny won the coin toss this time. There was a separate problem, though. She had her car there. So they put her body in the trunk and then went to Los Angeles Crest to dump the body inside the car. So they pushed the car with Cindy still in the trunk over the cliff. Meanwhile, Kenny's son was born a week later. During this time, Kenny was interviewed two more times by police. One time a police officer asked if he owned a police badge. The other time the mother of a woman Kenny had been dating called him in as a tip. She felt he was possibly the hillside strangler. She just had a feeling. Nothing came of that interview or the other. Kenny, being the dumbass that he is, was, uh, went to Angelo and bragged that he had now been questioned three times in connection with the Hillside murders and, you know, had still come out on top. This didn't make Angelo happy. In fact, Angelo calmly pulled a gun on his cousin and said, quote, I ought to off you right now, to which Kenny responded with, hey, Angelo. Hey, put that down. What's happening to you? Tony, why me? This is Kenny. This is your cousin Kenny. I thought we were partners. I thought we were in this together. Angelo said, I sing in nothing, fuckhead. 
you stupid big mouth fuckhead. How come the cops been to see you three times? They ain't been to see, they ain't been to see me once, huh? How come the cops know who the fuck you are, huh? You don't see no cops fucking around with Angela Buono, right? What's the matter with you? You want to blow this deal? You talk too much. I mean, Angelo had a point. Yeah, can't argue. Yeah. Um, Angelo was really beginning to hate his cousin. He avoided him for months, in fact. He ignored his phone calls. And Angelo even got married again, you know, hoping that that might keep Kenny away, a new wife in his house. His new wife was named Tai Fun uh, Fanny Luing Lang, who was 21, and uh, she needed a way to stay in the States. You know, she was being she was from China, and she wanted to stay here. Kelly, at this time, had ditched Kenny as well, and she moved up with her parents in Bellingham, Washington. Angelo pressed upon Kenny that it might be a good idea to follow Kelly up there, you know, getting out of L.A. Um, Obviously, we can see the motivation for him wanting to get Kenny out of there. Kenny was dangerous. Eventually, Kenny was left with too many burnt bridges in L.A. He decided to move up to Bellingham, and he drove two straight days to get there. And Bellingham is near the Canadian border, so that was a long drive. And he wanted to be with his son, Ryan, and his girlfriend, Kelly. So he says. Right. So that's all we're going to do today. Do you have any like, thing you want to say, Courtney? Um, I would say I'm kind of surprised that it took so long for Angelo to get so annoyed. I think he was just waiting for an opportunity. Like, this was the perfect opportunity. Encourage him to get the hell out of here and go up north. I mean, I'm assuming if there if it had happened earlier, he would have done it. But Right. I suppose that's true. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, mm-hmm. you can clearly see. And I would, I mean, <laughs> if I were Angelo, which I never would be, but I would also be like, oh, my God. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> you are. I mean... Do you think he's got the narcissistic thing going on, Kenny? I mean, he needs the attention. He, like, craves it. Or do you think it's just young and dumb? I think it's a little young and dumb. I think some of it is um, ADHD-related. Okay. Some of it is attachment disorder-related. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, I mean, he's obsessed with Angelo. He wants Angelo's approval. He wants Angelo to think that whatever, you know, he does is great. It's mm-hmm. so funny that he was able to evade the cops. Like, I don't think he was expecting the reactions he got from Angelo. Right, right. Because he thought he was coming home with, like, things to be proud of. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, but, um, so that's the end of the L.A. murders. Yes. So that's the end of the Hillside Stranglings. Um, and then our next episode is our final episode. Yes, part and, five. Yep, and we'll go over how it all goes down and it's a doozy yes it is all right well um be safe and we'll see you next tuesday